So the first, I guess only, icebreaker question is, what is your favorite fruit? If you could only eat one fruit the rest of your life, which one would it be? Strawberries. Steve says strawberries. The one, like Indiana grown, like fresh ones. It's a good choice. All right, watermelon lover. Blackberries. Mm. Like good ripe blackberries. Yeah. I just saw a quote yesterday that said blackberries should only be eaten fresh off the bush or the, the vine and never any other way because they're just not ripe enough. Anybody else? I was thinking the, I don't know if you guys have had them, maybe Jess has had them, but uh, Indiana pawpaws, that would be mine. Fresh, ripe ones. Sometimes you get a bad one. Present. There we go. All right. So the reason why I wanted to ask that one is because we're talking about Adam and Eve today. <laughs> and this is not on the lectionary or not a part of it, but it's been, I had a revelation last week reading um, a study book that I'm reading, and I wanted to share it with you all. I've shared it a little bit when it first came forth through my mind, but I've, I've really been thinking about it and I'm excited to share it with you and to get your perspective. So it's uh, Genesis kind of 16 through 23, um, but I took out some stuff we just don't really need since we all kind of know the story, but I'll read it to you. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of, the, of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat, up, eat from it, you will certainly die. Or some versions say you will surely die. So he tells us to Adam, and then he creates Eve, or the wife, because <laughs> Eve isn't named for a while. And then in 20, verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is where it gets good. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said, We, I wrote this early, <laughs> we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Who was with her? I want to point that out. <laughs> and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed thick leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants in the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden and to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, uh, I guess, a uh, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to God guard the way to the tree of life. So, I think we're all pretty familiar with this story. Um, you hear it pretty early on in life if you if you're you know a, a young kid going to church or to Sunday school or to VBS or any of the things that you can go to, um, and then if you you know are older and you kind of enter the church at a later year in life, um, you again get told the story pretty quickly, or at least you know you've heard of it. It just comes up a lot. And so I've got some questions for all of you, and so I'll need some, some feedback if you're comfortable. And even if you're not comfortable, just give it a try. Um, but So reflecting on this, my first question is, what has been the main message that you've carried from this story over the years, if this is not a new story for you? Eve was responsible. Things aren't as God originally intended. Things aren't as how God originally intended. You mean now or just yeah. Yeah. because of this? for me 
it's all about, it was always all about, you know, doing wrong and the snake, you know, tempted Eve and Eve tempted Adam and all this bad stuff happened to them because they listened to one another kind of a thing. That was really the, the big message that I received. Anybody else want to share what they... to the next question. I should keep an eye on the clock anyway. All right, so in this in this story, who is at fault? These aren't trick questions. It's just what you, how do you see it? I think everybody is at fault. Everybody's at fault. Quinn says, Adam. Do not trust your rib. Do not trust your rib. <laughs> yeah, they, they always talk about the sin of Adam and the fall of Adam. But it's like Paul never talks about the fall of Eve. Yeah, so Steve said that it, he's always heard it called the fall of Adam and not of Eve because Eve was deceived, but Adam knew better. I think that's interesting because I did notice that, that when, Adam com- when God commanded Adam to not eat of the tree, Eve wasn't even created yet. So that means either we don't know that God told Eve later or Adam is supposed to tell Eve. But anybody think the snake? was there with Eve, it's, it says in this. And I think that's um, that can be a danger of teaching this story without having the words right there. Um, and of course, you know, we can get from it whatever we choose to get from it, um, the, the words for what they are. Um, but I am reading a book that Kim let me borrow. And funny enough, yesterday when I was reading it, she was talking about, and I'd already planned on talking about this, but one of the stories in this book um, that was true for her 
was her recalling, the author recalling her attending um, CCED, is that what it's called? Yeah. For Catholic, Catholic like Catholic communion, I think. Like, building up the way, I don't know. Anyway, I had friends that went, and she said that she remembered um, being taught by an accountant about the story of Adam and Eve, and the accountant really got some things crisscrossed and basically kind of went down the road that you had seen, Kim, where she said, you know, the Eve, you know, led Adam astray, and she, she made it sound like Eve was there by herself, and, you know, the big thing, I don't, it, it, she just, there was little things in there that, that matter that she just kind of pushed off and then put her own view on it for all these kids, you know, that have no knowledge of this story yet. Um, and, and so the author grew up knowing the story from this woman's perspective rather than just reading it from the Bible in her own perspective. And that changes things. And that, that's how we get to blaming different people for different things just because of their gender. Um, so the next question is, do you think this is what we were just talking about? This is the message that the creator of the universe intended to share with us this way that we're kind of face value taking it. Not, I guess, right now, but in our past or in Sunday school or from the accountant that taught it to us at one point. this morning and what Steve said is that they ate from the knowledge the tree of knowledge of good and evil and so their eyes were open to good and evil um, and I thought it was interesting when I was rereading it there we go so here we are, we're talking about this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, you know, really, if you, the way I read it this morning was that, reread it, <laughs> um, was that before they ate of this tree, they really just saw good. You know, they were living a good life. <laughs> they were, um, they felt confident, they felt safe, they felt peace, they felt happiness. Um, and then something happened that in the mind of Eve and Adam, 
with this conversation with the snake, um, and it sounded like that's was their only other interaction other than God. Um, and that had them not necessarily seeing evil, I don't think, but I think it had them more, um, yeah, well, I'll let you, I'll let you fill in the gaps because I'll get to that later, but it had them thinking a little bit differently. And at the end of this, at the end of the story, um, 24, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So the tree of life is not what I assume as the same as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So um, easily, I mean, it, I could, someone could read it. I could read it as, you know, they had this tree of life that they were eating from that was keeping them alive. And now because they are able to see the rest of the world for how it is or the evil side of the world that they have to live with that burden and you know there's there's a different tree that they now can no longer eat from that can keep them living and sustained so who knows if this was a, a real tree or if it was I don't know God himself in a way or I don't know it could, it could be it could be what it is as we read it, or it could be something deeper. Um, but it just it, this story, I think, is a lot more complex than we give it credit for. So the next question is, why do you think that this is the first Bible lesson shared with us? And all of the... I mean, we learn about the creation of Earth and the animals and the sky, but this is really the first lesson. Jen uh, was saying that this is a way I you know for the, the podcast since I'm not doing Facebook Live, um, but this is a way that God can communicate with us that He um, He want, wants more for us, and this isn't the way we live day to day. Isn't how we He wanted us or God wanted us to live. Um, he intended a beautiful garden for us. 
And I think that's a that's a good strong explanation for you to to share. So thank you. In the ancient world, there was like so many different origin stories, and they had a lot to do with their gods and why they worshipped certain gods. And 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 so um, the Genesis story actually has a lot of elements from the other stories that were told in the time, but they identified that there's one true God and that that one true God made all the things. And the things aren't God. There's one true God. And so I think I think it's it's shared first because it is in opposition to a lot of the stories that the ancient Christ or the ancient Hebrews would have heard as children. That's yeah. I think that's pretty neat because I've heard several different, you know, depending on where you are in the world, there are different, you know, creation stories, um, and they are very similar. But yeah, I think it's a good point to point out that this it's it's one God that's bringing forth all of us and wants goodness for us. I think maybe that's a little bit different too. Is there's a lot of, you know, gods out there that people see as more of a authority or like authoritarian view. Not a look, not from a view of love. They yeah, not from a view of a love. A God that loves them. It's a God they have to appease. Right. Anybody else? See, I have a maybe strange perspective on this story. <laughs> that I've never heard anybody repeat, but I always wondered, if, like, why did he put the tree of knowledge there to begin with? It's like, mm-hmm. if he chose Eden, and he chose it the way, like, he wanted it to be, and then he put this tree there, and, like, he he's the one to put it there, and then decided, you guys shouldn't eat from it, because you'll die, mm-hmm. which wasn't necessarily true, and, like, the serpent came in and told them, this, you actually are just going to have knowledge, you're not going to die. I mean, they'll die, they'll be able to die, but it's not like they're going to die immediately, and um, so my perspective of it is it's almost like they should have just trusted God and what he said because, you know, if they would have just followed his instructions, then um, they could have stayed in the Garden of Eden and continued to live that sort of perfect world. But mm-hmm. it's like God gave them the choice and they took that choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of see it that way because it's like, he could have just decided not to put that tree there to begin with and not given them a choice to have knowledge, but they, like, chose to yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's even, it highlights the fact that God gave humans free will. You know, we are able to choose, make decisions, and decide if we trust or if we don't trust. And I'm so glad that you said that because it's a perfect segue to where we're going. Um yeah, it's it, it highlights that, and I think that um, that's a that's a whole nother can of worms. But the fact that that we as humans have free will and can make choices um, for ourselves, you know, and there are we often know when we're making a choice what's good and what's evil or what's good and what's bad or what would be best for us um it still doesn't make it easy for us to make a choice but um 
it's there. And I think that that when we take time, if something really is confusing for us and we take the time to meditate on it and to like talk with God or connect with God, um, I think that's where we, it's like making that choice. Like, can you trust God or are you going to, you know, take control and trust only yourself kind of thing? Um, let's see if I have another question. Oh, do you think that we missed something in this story? Matt, I think you hit that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think something that I struggle with now is kind of going through a, a process of um, deconstructing kind of what a lot of like the religion that I grew up with and kind of a lot of the religion, the religion that we're so deep in our culture that it just seems like, oh, this is absolutely like the natural, like, we're, we're so used to it, we don't realize that it's maybe only one interpretation. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing with this story that I always, um, that I'm realizing that, I don't know how I feel about, but the, the idea of um, that this story is taken to have the doctrine of, um, I forget what it's called, but it's like everybody is sinful at birth and inherently sinful and would be condemned like if they don't accept Christ. And that's kind of like a bedrock of so much of like our evangelical church mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people who even say, well, you know, if you the um, the if you do the thought experiment of you know what about the people who are you know on a distant island or something or somewhere in the world mm-hmm. where they never have an opportunity to hear the gospel, there's some people who would say, oh, well, they're inherently sinful because of this and that means that God's going to condemn them to hell mm-hmm. and they'll deserve it and God is so loving you just for doing that mm-hmm. and I don't know just like reading through it now it's really hard for me to go from like point A to like that point like that seems like such taking things like so far to say that because of this result that that means that everybody is by default condemned mm. and sinful. I don't know, I did, I'm not sure that I see the evidence for that. Yeah, I, I think know. that's valid. That that might be like a controversial thing to say. So if, if somebody somebody can That's something that I think about now, like reading the story, is that just kind of questioning that um, the doctrine of original sin. Mm. Yeah. And maybe maybe that isn't as central a tenet of Christianity as we have seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that 
you're onto something for sure. Um, because you, I mean, God, you know, if we are taking this literally, God casts them out of the Garden of Eden, but he doesn't cast them into hell, you know. He doesn't say, we're going to burn forever in hell. It's not even mentioned. It's just they're not in there. They just know. It's like the Matrix. It's like they do they want the blue pill or the red pill? You know, Garden of Eden, the tree of life was the blue pill. And it gives them like a punishment, but the punishment never includes eternal damnation. Right. It's just life is going to be really hard. Yeah. Yeah, and even then, this is this is my controversial contribution. But when I was reading that, it, you know, he says, for Eve, childbearing will be painful. For Adam, you know, he's going to have to labor on, and, you know, life is going to be a struggle, and he's going to have to work for his food, and it's not just going to be there. And, um, and, you know, there's more to both of those. But it doesn't happen immediately. He just says that. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to spank you, and then you spank a baby or a kid. Um, it, he just kind of like, you know, you're going you're gonna to see kind of a thing. And, and really, I'm just trying to form this in a good sentence. But, I mean, it's now they've got, they've got something to chew on in their brain. You know, he was, oh, my gosh, you know. I'm pregnant. How is this going to be? And and what's what's childbearing going to be like? And she has her baby. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, I'm pregnant again. You know, you can you can keep going. Or like with Adam, like, oh, this is hard. I wonder if it's going to get harder. And and you know, like in life, sometimes we can think ourselves into having a problem when the problem wasn't there originally. Um, and so, it's not even like I'm not I'm not saying that pain and childbirth doesn't exist and you know the pain of having to sweat your whole life for your you know food and your retirement is doesn't exist but but I have heard um recently about mind what's it called mind I wrote it down somewhere um it's basically like rerouting neural pathways and um a lot not a lot but They've done it for, I mean, therapy, people in therapy, um, but also I've heard it recently for uh, pregnant women who are about to give birth, that they're able, you know, they, they talk to this person who's trained in this certain re, rewiring of the brain, and they say, okay, this is what I've heard, my mom told me it was going to be like this, and I'm scared it's going to be like this, it's going to be long, blah, 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 and then this therapist helps rethink, okay, well, what would you rather it be like? What do you want to feel? What do, how long? And and they have them go through this process of envisioning and rethinking and reprogramming basically what they envision their birth to be. And then when they do end up having their children, it's, it's, it's far beyond, and I've, I've seen it with people who've had multiple kids and they've done it more at the end, um, but it's nothing like the very first one. It's it's much less painful. It's much less long, scary. You know, all the things that happen in childbirth. 
And and that I think is interesting because it, it just shows how much that our minds can be in control but we don't know it, you know, or, or out of control in a way. Um, and of course, this is something that has to be deeply reprogrammed. It's not like you can do this once and everything's different. But um, I just think that thinking about it with, with the, the words that God places on them or like the reality rather than like striking them like with lightning, like boom, childbearing is going to suck and boom, you're going to have to work forever. Um, I just think it's, it's interesting if you think about it from a different angle. So I am going to highlight trust. So thank you for bringing that up. And so I've written down a little, my little thing I wanted to share. But so what stood out to me when I reread the story through a different critical lens are the words, you, you will surely die. Because after an Adam and Eve eat the fruit, they don't actually die. Even in the entire story, they don't record their dying. It's not in there. They don't say, okay, they leave the garden, they work, and then they die. That's, I think, later on. But... Um, from that perspective, the snake doesn't technically lie to them. He says, you won't surely die. Um, and what Adam and Eve receive after they eat the fruit is actually fear and shame. So most often, we get lost in the details that Eve ate first, and Adam passes the blame to Eve, and Eve passes the blame to the serpent. And in the blanket knowledge of the story today, it's Eve's actions that cursed all humanity um, but what I see is that we've gotten lost in these details. So sometimes, I think most of the time when we um, read a Bible verse the way they're typically read in, you know, the church, we get hung up on these little details that I don't think we're even supposed to be paying attention to. Um, and what we see in the story is both Adam and Eve equally losing trust in God's protection of them. They question this blind trust that they have in God. And both Adam and Eve thought they could kind of cheat the system and trust their mentality of lack more than God's own vision for them. And this, I think, should be the focal point of this story. This, um, this, them getting wrapped up in this lack mentality. Like, oh, there's, this isn't enough. I, I think I need more. I don't know what that is, but I need, you know, I need to, to be different. I know more than God, kind of a way. Um, so because, because, remember, God says that if they eat of the tree, they will surely die, but we don't see them dying the way that we understand death. And that's the detail that should draw us in. We need to keep reading to decode what surely die actually means. And the new thing being experienced by these two that we see after they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is shame and fear. And they are now living with shame and fear when they had it before. And that's specifically, you know, at the beginning of the story after Eve is born, <laughs> created, um, it says that they're both naked and they have no shame. Like it's, it's one sentence is very pronounced. And then they have shame after they realize that they're naked. So how much of our lives do we spend trying to overcome our own shame and fear? And would you call a life that's completely ruled by shame and fear living? And what happens when we step back into that blind trust that we are supposed to have for God?
Uh, I can tell you that for me, when I drop back into the trust I have in God, I quit sinking, kind of like Peter on the water. Um, how much time do we have? Yeah, so I've, um, there's just been so many times where in my life that I've, I'm facing a problem or a decision, and I think that I need to, you know, make it happen right now or make it make a decision right now or else everything's gonna you know crumble away in my life or that I need to figure it out and so I need to do all this research and talk to all these people and you know really pick apart what's going on um and there have been times where I that I work myself kind of almost into a fret like a panic that I have to figure this out. And then that's when I'm like looking up at the ceiling and realizing like, what what can I do? Like, how can I alleviate this? And and that's when, you know, the light bulb turns on. It's like, oh yeah, like there's something bigger than me, than all of us and this decision. Um, I need to trust it. And for me, that looks like kind of just taking a step back, not worrying about those little things that I was doing to try to like force this answer um and just letting things flow naturally and sometimes that means you know being patient and sometimes that means letting go of things that you normally don't let go of um it's not in your nature um but more often than not for me I can't even think of a a not um when I do that that's when you know magically this thing appears, whatever I'm needing or whatever decision I'm trying to make, and it's way better, you know, than I can, I can create. Um, I've had, I'm trying to think of a, a good story, but it often happens. So I did, I did some traveling after I graduated college and I, I, I went to a lot of places and it sounds like really amazing, but I did it with very little money. I just really scrimped by and um, there was one time when I was in I was in France and I was supposed to meet up with family and um, it just didn't work out they didn't have extra space and I couldn't find a, a place nearby them and so I ended up having to stay I did couch surfing which <laughs> makes some people sweat of the idea but basically it's this exchange uh, internet exchange where you can open your home to guests, but you have to offer it for free, and the guests can come in, but they're not allowed to pay you anything. Um, but it's it's like kind of like Airbnb now, where you have references, and you can kind of go back and make sure that you know people have enjoyed staying with them, and that they're real, and it's not like a creepy scam or anything. So anyway, here I was in France, and I needed a place to stay, didn't have much money, and wanted to try to see my family, but it wasn't going to work out. I was going to be alone. So I ended up picking or staying at this, the only place that had accepted me, and it was with this single male <laughs> in his apartment. And I was having a really hard time, like, just finding it. I was weaving through the streets, and I, had, I didn't have a working cell phone, and I had to go into, like, this weird call center where all the phones had, you know, this, the curly cords on them, and no one spoke my language. <laughs> the curly cords. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I was like, how am I supposed to call this person on this, like, 
and your numbers are different in different countries. You have to dial them in a certain pattern. And it was just, I was just thinking, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know what I'm going to, where I'm going to stay. And, and who knows what this guy is going to be like. And, and long story short, I was like, you know what? Everything's going to be fine. If I, the worst thing that could happen, you know, is that I just have to do a little camping. <laughs> and so I ended up, um, finding this place where he was staying, <laughs> where he lived, and I walked up these, like, this five flights of coily stairs up and down, and I couldn't find him, I was sweating. But all of a sudden, it, he shows up, he's like, are you, are you Haley? <laughs> <I'm> like, we. <"Oui." laughs> and um, he, he ended up being an amazing person, very kind, very well-mannered, and and generous, and um, he took me, he had a little scooter, and I was like, uh, don't you want to ride the train? He's like, no, let's ride my scooter. <laughs> so we scootered, he showed me all these places that I wouldn't have been able to get to, and that I was, I, I didn't really have the budget to get to, and he, his home was in a, a nice, centrally located place, it was safe, and it was just, and I look back on it fondly, and now he, he and I still keep in touch and have friends, and he's gotten married and has a beautiful little baby, and it's fun to see pictures. And, and so it was this situation where I was really panicking, and, and when I finally let go and said, okay, it's going to be fine. All of these fears are in your head. Like, God's in charge. God brought you here. God, you know, is, is allowing these circumstances because, you know, there's a lesson in it. And I just decided, you know, to trust, like, okay, you know, let go, let it float down, let these fears float down the, the river. And, and it was just a, a really great experience. And I, I spent virtually no money <laughs> because of his generosity. And, um, and yeah, it was just a blessing to, to be able to trust in like the goodness of people and, and the, the adventure I was on. And so um, I think what we have gotten wrong in the story of Adam and Eve has, has been perpetuated for decades. Um, I believe the story isn't supposed to blame or to scare us. I think it's here to show us that we can all easily doubt God and put our trust in the wrong place and live with that fear and shame and have that kind of take over. Um, and living in fear and shame is death because we're not truly living and enjoying the beautiful garden of life that's around us, that God intended us to experience with wonder and joy. Um, and yeah, so if I, you know, in my story, letting that fear, like I remember so vividly the time I spent in fear and panic because it was so terrible. <laughs> And really, I was under no threat at all. There was nothing coming at me. I wasn't being stalked. I wasn't, you know, under any type of danger. And and it's all the all the my knowledge of good and evil that brought me to living this within the fear, the realm of fear and shame. So as you go about your week this week, I challenge you all to look at your week through a lens, uh, a new lens. Identify the moments where you're limiting your life by trusting in that which brings fear and shame. And try to release that shame and fear in order to begin trusting God instead. 
Doing so means building our trust muscle and not quite knowing what the outcome will be. But we can know that it will be better than anything we could make happen on our own. And we can know that we will surely be living. So we do have communion today. Um, and I'll pray for that. And I don't know if anybody can play music. But if you can, that'd be nice. I could also maybe. But we'll pray first. God... Thank you for revealing yourself to us in the details of the stories that are shared in the Bible. And thank you for allowing us to have the deep and creative minds to, to read the messages within them and to learn and to rethink how we view these, these stories. Um, and thank you for for giving us that good um, when we live with good and evil. Thank you for giving us the joy and the happiness and the confidence in a world of fear and shame and scarcity and lack. I ask that you be with us and bless us this week that we can keep at the front of our minds that you are with us and that we can trust you and that things will be better with you and with you at the helm of our ship. I also ask God that you bless your body and your blood to our bodies, that we can take and eat the communion today and be reminded that you are always with us, that you're always within us, and that you're always here for us. In your name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.